Good morning. Reading uh, today is from Psalm 141 and can be found on 629, page 629. A Psalm of David. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I take part in wicked deeds, along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs, and the wicked will learn that my words were well spoken. They will say, as one ploughs and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. But my eyes are fixed on you, Sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, while I pass by in safety. Thank you, Heather. Please do keep that passage of the Bibles open as we look at that together. And uh, let's now pray to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Psalms. Thank you that they are part of the Holy Scriptures that you have given to us. And Lord, we pray that you would help them to become more and more our words. They would be shaping the way that we think, the way that we pray, the way that we sing, the way that we, we live. Please speak to us now, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I don't know how you are feeling uh, at the moment um, with coronavirus, uh, with all the anxiety, looking on the BBC News app and everything is all about COVID-19, everything on the TV, and uh, perhaps it's, it's something you're able to, to deal with, or perhaps it's consuming uh, all of your uh, waking thoughts. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle, maybe you're hoping for some uh, light relief today. Well, it's, it's good, isn't it, that God's Word speaks uh, about everything, and actually it speaks about this. God's Word is enough, and God speaks to us, we believe, as, as we listen to him through the Bible. But what's God, what God, God's Word often does is it actually reframes our fears, it reframes our anxieties to be in line with his will. Often we end up being anxious about things that, that God doesn't want us to be anxious about. And the Bible tells us time and time again, don't fear. Do not fear. Whatever it is, do not fear illness. Do not fear persecution. Do not fear trials. But the Bible says, fear one thing. Fear God. Have that right sense of awe and wonder before God. Because to fear something with no power is actually foolish. We know that logically, even though we might not experience that in our lives. But to fear the one with all the power actually makes sense, doesn't it? 
We need to perhaps counsel each other this time from God's word that we are not to live in fear, but we are to live in faith. Because the Bible says that actually, apart from things like viruses, there is a pandemic that is far more rife than coronavirus. It's a pandemic that we've all been diagnosed with. In fact, it's fatal in 100% of cases. Yet most people out there don't seem to be that bothered by it. But David sees the danger of it. He tells us in verse 1. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. Now that is the cry of a desperate man, isn't it? What does David want to be rescued from? Well, the answer as we keep on reading through this psalm, is himself. And his heart, which can be so easily drawn away from God and towards sin. We're looking through these series of psalms at the moment in our services here at BH. And last Sunday evening, uh, we were looking at Psalm 140. I was preaching on that. And and in that, we see David recognises and reminds himself that his confidence doesn't come from him within, his confidence comes from God, as he cries out against all the injustices that he sees in the world. But now as he moves to this next psalm, this is being compiled for us, it's almost like there's a pause, and David has this sudden realisation that without God's help, he's no different from those people out there. And this is the struggle of every Christian, really. This is why we're thinking about every Christian struggle today. But perhaps you're here and you might not necessarily call yourself a Christian. Firstly, it's great that you are here. Um, Whatever's brought you to uh, church today, it's wonderful to have you with us. But if, if you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian, what I want you to do is notice actually how David's fear, his crying out, is not without hope. His fear is transformed by his faith. So let's look at what what David does then. Firstly, he starts off with a prayer, a prayer for his personal holiness. What does David cry out to God for? How does he need the almighty creator of the world to sort him out? Well, he needs him to help him to be holy, to live out the implications of who God says he is. Now, I don't know what you make of holiness or, or the idea of, of being holy. I can't imagine many of us get excited about the thought of being holy, perhaps. Normally, actually, it's used as a put-down, isn't it? Someone saying, oh, you're acting in a way that is holier than thou. I wonder, in this time of kind of increased anxiety, how many of us would say that our number one priority in life right now is pursuing holiness. It has been for previous generations who have faced all kinds of trials and illnesses and persecutions. But I wonder, is that true of us today? But David in this psalm says that is his number one priority at this time. And actually I hope you'll see as we look at this psalm how key and how exciting pursuing holiness actually is. Have a first one again. David says, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. 
So this prayer of of holiness that David makes comes from a place of actually distress. David is ill at ease with with himself and where he might end up. His concern for his holiness is in his speech and in his behaviour as well. But I wonder if you see the urgency. It's amazing, isn't it? The urgency David has in this prayer for his own holiness. It's as if he was about to run out of water to drink. Or it's as if there was this tidal wave coming towards him. It's that kind of prayer. It is urgent as he calls out to God. And what does this prayer of holiness look like? Well, firstly, it's it's a holiness that David needs to help him in his prayer life. For his prayer to be pure. Verse 2. David says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Now the language that David is using here might sound a bit mysterious to some of us, but it's the kind of language of of the worship that took place in the temple. A place of of sacrifice, of priests, um, of offerings, that kind of stuff. And all of that was done to teach the people that we just can't just saunter up to God and treat him however we want is to say that that God is a holy God, as we've been singing about and saying this morning. We can't just wander up to God however we want. Because our sin causes a barrier. It reads like a big sign that says, access denied. So to enter God's symbolic presence in the temple, the, the priest had to be clean. They had to do all the scrubbing for 20 seconds and a lot more that they were not to be defiled by unclean foods or or practices, and they were shown to be clean and pure on the outside. But we know that the purity that God wants is, is not so much on the outside. It's not about scrubbing ourselves until we're nice and clean, but it's about purity on the inside. So what is David asking? Well, he's asking that God would treat his prayer as if it was the purest sacrifice. Basically he's asking God to treat his prayers, his his anxious thoughts, with gladness. Delighting that his servant, his redeemed child, is praying to him. So this first part of holiness is God choosing to accept David's prayer as if he was his one and only beloved son. But how can we have this kind of confidence that, that our prayers, people who, who, who aren't all that pure, I speak for myself, how can we have that kind of confidence? Well, Paul writing in Romans 8.34 says that Jesus, the Son, where well, he is interceding for us, he is offering up, he is making perfect our prayers as if they were his own. So how can we have that kind of confidence that David has? Well, it's through faith in Christ alone that we have assurance that our prayers are heard by our Heavenly Father. So firstly, this holiness looks like a pure prayer. Secondly, this holiness is seen in actually not what we are saying, but what we are restraining from saying. It's in restrained speech. Verse 3, David says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, no one likes being told to be quiet. 
But David says, Lord, please shut me up if I'm about to say something that doesn't honour you. If I'm about to put my foot in it, to say something false, or something harmful, or something wrong. It's like him asking God to put his tongue on a lead. Keep a close eye on it, Lord. Protect it from doing what is wrong. Now last week, David was asking God to guard him from the mouths of his enemies out there. But here he's saying, Lord, protect me from the mouth of me, from my words. I wonder how, how hard you find it listening to people. It could be so easy to think of always what we're thinking about, what we want to say next. Maybe even we enjoy saying something that makes ourselves look better or someone else look worse. It can be done in face-to-face, it can be done through text messaging, through social media, through letters, all sorts of ways. And that was no less a temptation for someone like David. David says, Lord, guard my words. That is how my holiness will be shown. Don't let me use my mouth in a way that my heart would be ashamed of. So firstly, this holiness looks like a pure prayer. It looks like restrained speech. And thirdly, this holiness is seen in having a steadfast heart. A heart that is focused on God. Now in 1 Samuel 13, uh, God says that David was a man after his own heart. But even so, for, for an amazing guy like David, his heart could still be led astray. A man with David's authority as king had all kinds of temptations at his disposal. And the Bible is very frank in pointing them out to us. And David shares those in his pouring out earlier on in the Psalms, like Psalm 51, Psalm 32. But even in those situations where David had failed, his desire was still to be restored and to have his heart renewed by his loving God. Now we're like David in so many ways. Our, our hearts are so easily led astray to behave like people who don't know God. I wonder, I wonder what direction do you feel your heart being tugged in today with all the anxieties we're facing? Where's your hug? Where's your, your, your heart being tugged? Is it being tugged towards self-reliance? Is it being tugged towards despair? Maybe there are other temptations that it's being tugged towards. Is it being tugged towards unforgiveness? Is it being tugged towards just giving in to fear? Our prayer then is one where we ask God would be making us more like Jesus, praying with clean hands, restraining our speech by his strength and having a steadfast heart that doesn't run after every temptation that comes its way. Well, how does that going to come about? It's not saying actually that God calls us to do just on our own. That's why it's important that I need you and you need me. You see, God has chosen to answer the prayers of those who want to leave behind a life of, of sin and death and live out the implications of his amazing grace. God has made that possible. And the way that he does that is by using the other people around us in church. We face the struggle and we fight for our holiness by being accountable to one another. To Christian friends, to brothers and sisters that we trust. 
We see this in our passage. With firstly the needs that we have to be kept in check. Have a look at verse 5, the beginning bit there. David says, Let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head. This also means that being a part of a church isn't just about us growing in our holiness, but it's also about spurring on our brothers and sisters to be living out their faith. Now what David is suggesting here is very humbling, but it's also really clear, we need to be clear about what this isn't, because people have misused this to their own advantage. This isn't talking about some kind of self-harm or some other kind of odd behaviour here. What David means is that sometimes the truth does hit you like a blow to the head. And when someone's motivation for you is love, then that can be a very good thing. The warning that goes out with this is then, some people have misinterpreted this to mean some kind of physical violence against other Christians, and that's acceptable. That is not the case. That is not good. David is clearly using symbolic language to describe a proper wordly rebuke. Like we see in David's life when Nathan the prophet approaches David and and challenges him on his adultery. He doesn't hit him or beat him up, but what he does is he tells a story. A story that engages with David in such a way to help him realise the enormity of his sinful behaviour. And that is not a bad thing, that is a good and kind and loving thing, aimed on the restoration of that other person. Far from being a bad thing, God uses it to bring David firstly to a place of brokenness and out of that to bring about his repentance and his forgiveness. That is why David calls it a kindness. Because it truly is kind. So what might accountability look like in our lives? People speaking to us in that kind of way. Well, that probably depends on a couple of things. Firstly, whether or not you have friends around you in the church who are willing to speak the truth to you in love. All of us want the kind of friends who are going to tell us the good news no matter what and just say that everything that we do is great. But actually, we should be trying to be the kind of friends who are willing to speak those hard words when necessary and are willing to hear those hard words as well. That's a challenge. But David says that's the kind of friendship where kindness is shown. It leads us to a better place. These are the kind of people who we want around us. People who keep an eye on us. And that's what each and every one of us needs. Not like a spy, kind of looking over our shoulder, keeping a tab on us at all times, but like a sports coach, egging us on. They know what we can achieve, they know that we can do better, egging us on to do our best. But a relationship with friends that that is two-way as well, because we need to be able to look to them and know that they are not going to preach legalism to us. What do I mean by that? Well, they're not just going to tell us that we need to just sort out our behaviour And that's how we're going to earn God's favour. These have got to be friends who have got to remind us of of God's amazing love and grace for us in Jesus Christ. And that is our motivation. That is how we do godly accountability. 
But it also means that we have to be truthful as well. I remember someone once saying that a great question that you can always ask with that kind of friends is, what is the one thing that you don't want me to ask you about? No one wants to ask that question. But deep down we know that we should if God's going to be doing that kind of work in our hearts and in our lives. I wonder, can we have friends like that? Do we care that much about our holiness to give it a try? Can we be those kind of friends who are willing to speak the truth in love and to help others in their pursuits of holiness? I know we can. Because the outcomes are worth it. It's a renewed resolve in what is good. So the second half of verse 5, David says, My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. Now, sometimes when people treat us like this, we can get all defensive and kind of withdraw and and end up being on the attack. We feel personally under attack. What is this person trying to do with saying how I should be living my life? Maybe bringing up excuses for why we behave in a certain way or, or downplaying what we've done. Now, we've all done this. This is nothing new. We've all done this. But David says, actually, the outcome of that kind of gracious accountability should be a greater desire for the things of God. And also an awareness of where ignoring those warnings ends up. Verse 6 and 7. David says, Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs, and the wicked will learn that that my words were well spoken. They will say, As one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. It's true then that for those who continue to ignore God, for those who continue to partake in injustice and things that God say are not right, well, their end will be a grim one. We take those warnings to heart seriously as we try and pursue this holiness of living out the implications of God's amazing grace. And I think actually that's a really good reminder for us to bear in mind as we think about our Christian struggle. Because this is exactly what Christ has rescued us from. So we don't have to face these kind of things. He was the one who was not thrown down but was lifted up on a cross. He was the one uh, who didn't have his bones scattered, but whose dead body was wrapped up and laid in a tomb for three days. All of that done to the perfect Son of God, so that feeble and failing people like you and like me might have his perfect holiness and righteousness. And brothers and sisters who support us on the way. So, the way that God chooses to, to make us more holy, well, that's often through the accountability of brothers and sisters who we trust. And all of this leads together, David says, to a new reliance. A reliance on the God who protects him and protects us from sin and death. In the Christian life, we struggle and we pray to become more and more like the one who has saved us, helped by the Spirit at work in those around us so that we might rely on the God who protects us. What's lovely is when David goes through this psalm, he he realises his need for holiness and, and how easily that he can slip into sin. He knows that he needs others who he can trust around him to help him to do that. But when he gets to the end of this psalm, his eyes are now only looking in one direction. Have a look at verse 8. He says, Thus, my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. 
do not give me over to death. After David's cry of panic at the beginning of the psalm, his wayward heart tugging and his commitment to God working through his friends, where the gaze of his heart is firmly drawn to his Saviour. There's nowhere else where he is looking. Because he is the one who can rescue sinners like David and like Tim and like you. Our hearts get tempted to find safety in all sorts of things. False senses of security, the the approval of popular people, the distractions of addictive behaviour. But none of these things are the medicine we need at a time like this. They are all toxic. The only cure for this pandemic of of pain that is sin is to gaze upon our Saviour. To see that the wounds in his hands and in his feet, the hole in his side, the crown of thorns pressed down on his head and to rely on him that he has done it all. I counsel you then at this time, look to that Jesus. Look to him and tell me, see the scars, the holes and tell me he doesn't care and that we can't have faith in this Saviour. David fixes his eyes on our God because he knows he is the only one that we can find a refuge in and that can keep us safe even from the grips of death itself. He gives us safety like nothing else can. A safety that runs into eternity. Verses 9 to 10. David says, Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nests while I pass by in safety. It's true to say then that the world is a scary place, isn't it? And that coronavirus and things like that remind us of that fact. But the confidence of the person who turns to Jesus is that they will be kept safe into eternity. We don't know what the outcome of this virus will be for our church, whether we can keep meeting together like this, or not. But we do know what the outcome will be for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. So as we finish up then, our prayer needs to be two things, doesn't it? Firstly, that people would see their greatest need is not to be rescued just from a virus, but to be rescued from themselves. And only Jesus offers that rescue. And secondly, that we as a church would be defined as a people, not of fear, but a people of faith. With our eyes fixed daily on our sovereign Lord. We go to him, whether we are well or whether we are sick, to him for refuge. He will not give us over to final death. Because in Christ we shall pass by safely from this life into eternity. As we define them, not as people of fear, but as people of faith. Keep our eyes fixed on our sovereign love.